work in Australia, they found this malformation in my brainstem, which needed to go. So I had surgery, but during the surgery, the surgeon made an error and he removed the thing in my brainstem, the IVM, but the residual IVM bled and I had a stroke and went into a coma. When I woke from my coma, about eight days later, I was in a totally different realm. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't speak or swallow or blink or move and was very much in denial that, you know, this was not something that would happen to me or would happen to a patient, not myself as a healthy young person. Just surviving every day is a huge achievement and that's enough and you don't have to be, you know, climb mountains to, you know, tying up your shoelace is huge. And, you know, to put in perspective a little bit and really show that it's not what happens to you, it's how you choose to deal with it. I think that positive outlook and that the importance of having a really strong support network, the importance of us not being victims and survivors of this is, is really important in sustaining that outlook. Hello, this is Stroke Stories and I'm Mark Goodyear. In Australia, the National Stroke Association reckoned that by 2050, the number of people suffering a stroke will double. Currently, there are about half a million Australians living with stroke. Around the world, health services can be amazing at diagnosing and treating strokes, but patients often find that while they're recovering, there just aren't enough resources. So, we started Stroke Stories, the podcast, to seek out and to hear from stroke survivors. In this podcast, we hear from Emma G, a former occupational therapist who suffered a stroke at the age of 24. I was healthy, running long distances, tracking, worked full-time at neuro-rehabilitation with stroke survivors themselves. Life was very normal for me. Amazing childhood. Three other siblings, including a identical twin sister. I um, was diagnosed with a arteriovenous malformation in my brainstem. This is a congenital deformity that I only discovered when I was 24 after climbing a mountain with friends and I think the high altitudes and the fact I might have been dehydrated caused a bleed. And I was a bit clumsy and, and after a few tests I found back in Australia, they found this malformation in my brainstem, which needed to go. So I had surgery, but during the surgery, the surgeon made an error and he removed the thing in my brainstem the IVM, but the residual IVM bled and I had a stroke and went into a coma. 
when I woke from my coma, about eight days later, I was in a totally different realm. After suffering a devastating stroke, Emma faced the worst possible outcome. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't speak or swallow or blink or move and was very much in denial that, you know, this was not something that would happen to me or would happen to a patient, not myself as a healthy young person and more of a victim than a survivor at that point. When I had the surgery, I flew to Sydney I reside in Melbourne, but I flew to Sydney and then I went through rehabilitation back in Melbourne, but I was unable to do that until I was well enough to fly. So after about two months, I resumed rehab in Melbourne for about nine months inpatient and then about a year and a half outpatient. Basically, where I'd once worked as a therapist, so it was quite confronting. Although it was really difficult to not wear a therapist hat at that point, and there were lots of issues with that new role of a patient, but I still had that cognitive ability and retained everything I learned as a therapist. So I think for me... Although it was very difficult initially because I wanted to be the therapist and found that quite challenging, it enabled me to apply a lot of that theory to my own life and my own rehab. And to this day, I've done that. You know, I'd seen the impact of so many things as a therapist, not only on the survivor, but everyone around them. And so I was very mindful of that it wasn't just me going through this and the longevity of my recovery was going to be really reliant on others around me. I wasn't able to return to the old M. And so basically, cut a long story short, after rehab and in integrating into the community, I um, returned to work at the Stroke Foundation I only went back part-time and I was very frustrated that I couldn't communicate that uh, much at that point. I couldn't really speak or do much. And so I went and studied my master's in OT but still very frustrated that I couldn't unleash what was dormant in me as a patient. And so I went on to board to basically enhance my communication. And in relearning to speak, I commenced my own speaking business and that's where I do full-time now. And about two years ago, I published my book, which is basically a reflection when I was more emotionally able to revisit what I'd been through. And what I'd recorded in my recovery. Despite Emma's experience working with survivors of brain trauma, her own recovery proved to be long and difficult. As much as I thought I knew as a therapist, I didn't. And, you know, it's an ongoing process, but it took me years to really fully accept and 
reinvent myself and for me every single thing had changed and it wasn't just me going through this and so the change in the dynamics with all my friends and family and my capabilities and it's an ongoing adjustment. There's always ongoing grief that you do encounter and as much as I love my life and the direction I've been able to use my experience hopefully to enable and empower others, it's still hard. Like today I've got a lot of nerve pain I managed that and I've learnt to manage it through moving, not medication. So I do yoga and swimming and that. But, like, I pulled a muscle in my lower back, which means that that's not easy to manage. And so, therefore, moving is painful. Sort of a two-sided sword. I either get nerve pain or I get muscular pain. I've got a very medical family and so I think a lot of us were really aware of that who I was when I woke up when I couldn't speak or do anything and I had shaved head and, you know, I didn't look great. I knew that it was going to be slow and I think, you know, they kind of knew that too. Um, but seeing someone... Do you care about that position? I can't fathom how hard that is. And I know my identical twin sister who's not um, at all health-minded, like she works in marketing. She found the slowness and that really difficult. I still to this day read excerpts of my book and I feel sick. It's not nice to know that's... Well, I put them through, but, you know, I think long-term now it's been 13 years. I'm now at a point where I have returned to work and I am living independently and I now can reciprocate what they gave me. And so whereas initially, you know, I could not reciprocate and it was really difficult, I feel like now, like, my twin sister has three young kids and so today I um, looked after them all day so she could go and do her work. So, yeah, I'm able to reciprocate now and that's, you know, a really good feeling. And she found that local support groups weren't quite what she was looking for. Being physically limited and there were so many associated barriers like weather and time frame and everything that meant that to access those groups physically was really difficult for me. So I did and I thought I they existed and but I think for me initially it was quite confronting realising that it was very much a support network for older people. So that's why I commit to working with the Stroke Foundation to try and change that. So I developed a national online stroke support program called Stroke Connect Online, which has morphed into Enable Me. So I did that because I could see that there was such a need for peer support. And I then went on resigned from the Stroke Foundation to focus on my own work and book. 
and did some voluntary work for stroke kids. I definitely meet up with people when I'm one to get for peer support because it's so important now to have that commonality. Emma's stroke was devastating. She still struggles with its after effects to this day, but she's fought back. She's determined to live a normal life with the support of family and friends. And still to come on this episode of Stroke Stories, Emma talks about the emotional impact that her stroke continues to have. There's an ongoing, I guess, frustration, but I don't think I'd be human if I didn't admit that. And I don't feel bitter and I don't feel resentful. I feel like I've accepted what I can't change. And she reveals her plans for the future. I want to continue to advocate and I think a lot of the inadequacies that I face, I want to make it easier for others who go on to face those in the future. Let's hear about Emma's experience writing a book about her stroke. It was extremely grueling but very therapeutic to go look back on that. Um, I think if I'd released it a year after my stroke, it would have been more for me, not for other people. Whereas in what I do now, there's so much in it that hopefully means that others who go through that, whether they're the survivor themselves or a supporter, for me it's a way of preventing isolation. There's so many things in it, like really awful, embarrassing things that I went through I was very tempted to leave out, but my editor said, Em, what is your purpose of this book? And, you know, I wanted to know that I wasn't the only one that wasn't continent after this stroke. Like, I'd, embarrassing as it is, I needed to educate people on what happens. I do a lot of education with health professionals and for them to be able to um, have a better understanding on what a person is feeling and what the impact of their actions and attitude on someone's recovery is something I can do in using my story. So it's more about, you know, so much focus on she's inspirational because she went on and climbed this mountain and I guess I really wanted to go, you know, just surviving every day is a huge achievement and that's enough and you don't have to be, you know, climb mountains to, you know, tying up your shoelace is huge and you know to put in perspective a little bit and really show that it's not what happens to you it's how you choose to deal with that there's a ongoing I guess frustration but I don't think I'd be human if I didn't admit that and I don't feel bitter and I don't feel resentful I feel like I've accepted what I can't change and in moving forward, I'm not holding on to a being bitter about what I haven't done when I thought I would do that. So my frustration really, I mean, every day I 
thing, oh, I've got, you know, this stupid muscle or, you know, but I think for me what fuels me to motivate other people and do what I do, you know, I get up each day is to to really um, enable other people. I think if I get frustrated or disheartened by some process, imagine someone who doesn't have good support or can't live alone or can't communicate for themselves. Looking forward, Emma wants to continue spreading the word about stroke and its effects on survivors and their families. I want to continue to advocate and I think a lot of the inadequacies that I face, I want to make it easier for others who go on to face those in the future. So whether it's applying for insurance schemes or travelling, or I just want to keep doing that. So through my speaking and writing, hopefully I can do that. It is quite taxing, but... Um, even now, I've gone back to rehabilitation. After 13 years, I'm choosing to go back to improve my my own walking and uh, improve my own posture. And I think it's also showing people that, you, you know, the longevity of your recovery and that, you know, you've got to keep open to possibilities and changes and... I've got to practice what I preach, so I hope to continue to do that. But I also have lots of personal goals, like I'm going to Europe in June on the holiday. I think just being able to continue doing what I do and have the the juggle of balancing things is really uh, important to me and uh, my family and friends huge in my life. And finally, here are Emma's thoughts on what could help you in your recovery if you've suffered a stroke. Everyone is so different and the way that stroke impacts them is so variable and that how much it's it's so vital Amber, that you have a choice in how you deal with it and having a positive outlook and always having hope that oh, there's about 2,000 things I could mention here, but I think that positive outlook and that the importance of having a really strong support network, the importance of us not being victims and survivors of this is, is really important in sustaining that outlook. Emma's work with other stroke survivors and the huge effort she put into writing the book is proof of her dedication to spreading awareness and helping stroke survivors feel less lonely and isolated. If you're listening to this podcast and have had a stroke or somebody close to you has and you'd like to learn more, search for The Stroke Association online. And for a dedicated webpage, search NHS Strokes. And if you're listening on iTunes, please subscribe rate and comment because that will help us spread the word the stroke stories podcast was produced by aiden judd i'm mark goodyear thank you for listening <laughs>